our, um, our telling of the Easter story. It's one of several that are found in the New Testament. And the one we, we heard today is different from the others in its lack of the details that are so familiar from, to us from the other stories. It doesn't include anything like we heard the, the angels in bright raiment who roll the stone away. We didn't hear those details, which we're accustomed to from the, the stories in the, um, the other accounts of Easter in the New Testament. And, um, and that is because uh, Peter, the, the person who is speaking this, this telling, who is retelling the Easter story, isn't focused on those details. And the reason for that is um, while he knows those details, he figures in some of those stories, um, he, he is talking to somebody that they would be lost on. He's talking to a man named Cornelius, who is a Roman officer. Uh, Ro- uh, uh, he is an officer in the Roman army, and he's not stationed in Jerusalem. He is stationed on the coast in a town called Caesarea. He may have never been to Jerusalem, but if he has, he wouldn't be as familiar with those details as somebody else. That, that if Peter was to say, well, you know, you know, when you go to where the tomb is, you know, on the, on the one side there's the garden, and, you know, and then he would say, well, there was Mary, but, but not that Mary, the other Mary, and all the, the, the people that we are familiar with, that, but we are only familiar with them from those stories. We don't know who they are. And neither would Cornelius. Cornelius wouldn't know the, the geography of the tomb and the garden and things like that. And he wouldn't know the, the individuals who were involved. So Peter kind of cuts to the chase. He says, here's what's important to know about Easter. And, and that makes it a useful story for us to hear because we're really in the same boat. I mean, we think we know about Mary and the other Mary. We think we know about the tomb and the garden, but really we don't. We, we can conjure them up in our head, but if we were to compare between each other, we would all have different pictures of who those people are. So, so um, in a way, this passage in particular speaks to us because like Cornelius, who has is, who is not been to Jerusalem or doesn't know it well, and, and us, who may, maybe uh, some of us have been to Jerusalem on a tour or something, but, but we don't know it well either, um, this message in a way speaks to us. And because Peter is freed from, the, from giving all the details of the Easter um, uh, story, the Easter event, um, he is able to focus more on the significance of the story, which is good for us because really, even if we, we heard the details, we don't know the other Mary, and there's really very little significance to us in hearing about the other Mary. What we want to know is what does Easter mean? And that's what Peter is focusing on in this passage. So, who, who is in this passage? Well, uh, we're picking up the story midway. It's, it's the, the story of chapter uh, 10. Uh, the story is told throughout chapter 10 of the Acts of the Apostles. But it's, it's the encounter between uh, the Apostle Peter, who was an early, a leader in the early church, and he was one of Jesus' disciples, and this man Cornelius. But Cornelius has brought some of his family along, or really he's, he's, he's brought them to his house and so they are in his house and some friends. He's got his whole household there. So, so uh, Cornelius is there and Peter arrives at his house and uh, Cornelius explains uh, why he invited him. And then we hear Peter pick up uh, his, we, we pick things up with Peter's response in verse 34, where Peter says, I really am learning that God doesn't show partiality to one group of people over another. And the, the word uh, really am learning. He's, he's saying, in truth, I, I'm being hit over the head. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, um, 
it is dawning on me. It's, it, it, this, is, this is a realization I'm coming to that, um, that, that is seizing me. Literally, the word means to be seized. So I am being seized by this. Um, I am being apprehended by the idea that God is impartial. And the proof of that is the very fact that, that Peter has shown up in, in uh, Cornelius' house because Cornelius is not a Jew. He is, we, we read an office, or we, we did not read, but if we go back, we would find at the beginning of this chapter, we would read how Cornelius was an officer in something called the Italian Regiment. That means he's not from this area. He's from, anyone want to take a stab at it? Italy. He's from Italy. That's right. So he is an officer. You're, you're Bible scholars. So um, he is he is an officer in the Italian regiment, and that's uh, why he, he we, we can be confident he is not a, a Jew. And and yet Peter has come to his house. Why would Peter do that? Well, you'd have to read the whole story. But Peter is basically saying, "I'm learning something new. I'm I'm gaining a new appreciation of what God is doing here." And it's, it's kind of a struggle for me, but what I'm learning is that God does not show partiality for one group of people over another. This would have been very strange for a Jew in the first century to say. In fact, um, in the next chapter, we will read that, uh, that Peter is criticized by the other believers, the other Jewish believers. When he gets back to Jerusalem, they say, they say, hey, we heard you, you went to a Gentile's house. You went to a non-Jew's house. What's up with that? And Peter has to explain what, what was going on there. But, uh, but this is very, this is what people would have done in that culture. In fact, there's a, there's a great detail in one of the, um, uh, biographies of Jesus where during, during Jesus's trial, we read about how the, the temple authorities bring charges against Jesus to the Roman governor Pilate. And they basically stay outside. They stay at the door and they wait while Pilate goes inside and questions Peter. Then Pilate comes back out. Pilate is shuttling back and forth between Jesus and the authorities because they will not go into the, the Roman governor's palace because Jews didn't go into other people's homes. So, um, so uh, Peter is saying, I'm here, but this is something I'm really still figuring out. He says, in every nation, uh, sorry, he says, God doesn't show partiality to one group of people over another. Now, uh, that would have been very unusual for a Jew to enter a a non-Jew's house. But really, in the first century, if you think about the first century, this would have been what people generally expected of gods, that that if you were a a believer in a particular uh, uh, god, if you followed a particular god, then that's the way you would behave. The the whole point of Greco-Roman religion was to get God on your side, or at least keep God from favoring somebody else. If you think about the story of the Trojan War, why did they win? Well, the, the Trojan horse was involved. The, the Greeks won over Troy, partly because of the Trojan horse. But the reason they really won, as the story goes, is because the goddesses Hera and Athena were offended with Troy. And so they threw their weight behind Greece. And so Greece defeated Troy. That was just the way people thought in the first century. The whole point of being religious, of having a particular God that you venerated, that you, that you uh, uh, offered sacrifices to, that you worshipped, was to get them on your side. And here Peter is coming along and saying, God doesn't show partiality. And he goes on from there and he says, rather, in every nation, whoever worships him, whoever worships God, and does what is right is acceptable to him. He says, he says that this applies to you too, Cornelius. God is impartial 
even for you Romans. You know, this is the startling thing. This is why I'm having to slowly come to grips with all this, this new teaching that God is giving me. He says, in every nation, in every nation, whoever worships him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Now, we might, we might think, well, that sounds like fine print. You know, everybody, you know, uh, what, is it? What, what do they put in the sales, right? 20, everything in the store, 25% off. Uh, but then there's fine print. It says, except this department and those three things and so forth. So does that sound like fine print to you? Maybe it does sound like fine print where he says, if you worship him and if you do what's uh, what's right. But read the next verse. It says, this is the message of peace he sent to the Israelites by proclaiming good news through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. He says, this is the message of peace. This is this is an accomplished fact. This is This is not something that you have to to do in order to get God on your side. This is a message. This is good news. This is not advice. This is good news. I'm telling you about something that's already happened. It's it's an achieved you know you know fact that that this message of peace um, is that Jesus is Lord of all, all without an asterisk. He says Lord of the Jews, but also Lord of you non-Jews, Cornelius. So. He says, whatever you may think, Cornelius, whatever people have told you, whatever, whatever signals we've given to you by not going into your home, God is for you. God is for you. He's not just for us. He says, God is Lord of all. And that's that's." Probably good news for Cornelius and his household. I don't know them, but I have to assume it was. But I know it's good news for us because it doesn't always feel that way. I mean, think about it. You're wearing masks. We're in the middle. Well, hopefully we're on the very end. Let's, let's hope. We're on the very end of a global pandemic. And what could be more of an act of God than a pandemic? You know, we, we, can, we can talk about some of the policies that different governments and health establishments and so forth have put, put in place. We can say, well, I like New Zealand's approach better than Sweden's or things like that. We can, we can argue over the details, but it's not like any human being said, hey, I've got an idea. Let's have a viral epidemic and invite everybody. Nobody did that. It is, it is an act of God. So it's good news to hear Peter say, God is Lord of all. He's not, he's not getting even with us. He's not teaching us a lesson. God is not opposed to us. God is for us. God is for even us. That's, that's the good news. And, and, you know, here in Alaska, some of us uh, literally are still, you know, we can walk around our house and point to cracks that the earthquake put in. A um, couple of couple of years ago, there, there's I'm seeing nods that that these are acts of God. But but beyond those, there are the the small ones, the ones that maybe other people don't even know about. The the particular tragedies in our life, or the the illnesses that we're we're um, th- that are a constant struggle for us, or, or that we've had to overcome in the past. There are things that we might think that's a sign that God is opposed to me, that God is against me. And the message that, that Peter chooses to tell Cornelius is not about where the garden was or which one of the Marys came first and, and whether he won the foot race with John despite what John says. He doesn't tell him those details. He tells him, here's what you really need to know, Cornelius. You need to know that despite whatever you've been told, whatever, whatever you think, whatever, whatever 
secrets you have, whatever your sexuality is, whatever sins you've committed, God is for you. And that's good news for us. So he goes on. He says, he says, and here's the evidence. Let me, let me give you some evidence that what I'm saying is true. He says, you know what happened. You're stationed here in Caesarea, right? Your, your, your assignment is here in Caesarea, but you've heard the stories. This story has gotten around. You knew who to send for. There, there, there is a word on the street about Jesus. You've heard some of these stories. And even if you're not a believer, even if you weren't an eyewitness, you have to be curious. What's up with Jesus? Why do these people keep talking about Jesus? What is the significance of Jesus? He says, he says you know what happened in Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism John preached. You know about Jesus of Nazareth, whom God anointed with the Holy Spirit and endowed with power. Jesus traveled around doing good and healing everyone oppressed by the devil because God was with him. He says, the proof that God is for you is that he sent Jesus. That if God was against you, all he'd have to do is wait you out. You know, you're going to be dead in a hundred years. You just are. And so if God was really opposed to you, he wouldn't even have to lift a finger against you. He could just ignore you. And God is eternal. You know, in a hundred years and certainly in a thousand years, you wouldn't even be a memory. God didn't have to do anything. You know, it was literally no skin off God's nose what happened to you. But God did something. What did God do? He sent Jesus. And listen to the words he says. He says, you know about Jesus of Nazareth, sorry, um, uh, you know about Jesus of Nazareth, whom God anointed with the Holy Spirit. God, even after sending Jesus, God continued to be involved in what Jesus was doing. God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and endowed him with power. Jesus traveled around doing good and healing everyone oppressed by the devil because God was with him. That Jesus was not just acting on his own. He was actively supported in his ministry. He was empowered in his ministry. His ministry was anointed by the Holy Spirit because God was with him. He says, this is how we know that God is for us and we are learning God is for you. He says, those stories, the stories you've heard, aren't just stories. He says, we are witnesses of everything he did, both in Judea and Jerusalem. He says, Cornelius, I'm one of the people who saw this. You know, ask me a question. He, he says, there are other witnesses. Uh, it, earlier in chapter 10, it says that Peter brought some of the believers with him. Maybe though they were also witnesses. We don't know, but certainly there were other witnesses around. And we have access to a lot of their testimony because the, the gospel accounts, the, the biographies of Jesus, um, say explicitly that they are based on, or in one case, John's gospel says that it is an eyewitness account. Uh, Luke tells us that he compiled his, his biography from multiple eyewitness accounts. So we have access to the same witnesses. That when Peter is telling Cornelius that there are witnesses to these things, they're not simply a story. It's not just a rumor you heard when you got to this strange country. It's actually true. And there are witnesses who can tell you that. He says, we are witnesses of everything he did, both in Judea and Jerusalem. Now, what I like to imagine happened next is somebody in the, in the 
uh, in the audience in that household of Cornelius kind of looked skeptical because he was thinking, yeah, I've heard about Jesus. I have heard amazing things about Jesus. I've heard about things about Jesus that, that if they're true, that would tell me that God really was with him. But I've also heard something else about Jesus. I've heard he was crucified. What have you got to say to that, Peter? And so Peter, maybe Peter was going this direction anyway. Maybe he's looking at the skeptical face. I don't know. But he says, it's true. They killed him by hanging him on a tree. Now, I think Peter is being a little bit delicate here. Okay, he's, he's not saying the word crucified because it was a word people would wince at. It You can imagine we've got words people wince at. So Peter's uh, you know, prettying it up a little bit by, say, hanging on a tree. And he also says they killed him. He doesn't say you Roman dogs killed him. He says, he says they. You know, mistakes were made. Somebody, you know, those people, they killed him. He says they killed him. That's true. It's undeniable. But God... But God raised him up on the third day and allowed him to be seen. Not by everybody, but by us. We are witnesses whom God chose beforehand, who ate and drank with him after God raised him from the dead. He says, again, there are witnesses. These, you know, talk to me. Listen to my story. Listen to those details in the other accounts. Hear, hear the story about Mary and the other Mary and who got to the tomb first and where the, where the grave clothes were, were laid. Those accounts are out there. These are eyewitness accounts. He says, We are witnesses whom God chose beforehand, who ate and drank with him after God raised him from the dead. This was not simply a fond memory. This was not wishful thinking. This is not uh, um, uh, a figment of our imagination. It's not a mass hallucination. We ate and drank with him. We saw someone who had been killed by being hung on a tree, and we ate and drank with him. He says, God was still with him. Anybody, Cornelius, anybody can kill someone. But who can raise one? Only God. Only God can raise someone. They killed him. God raised him. God never, never was unhappy or... or uh, Uh, changed his mind about what Jesus was doing. Jesus was always carrying out the will of his Father. So he says, the proof, the evidence that God is for you, that God is even for you, that God is for us today, is that God intervened, that God acted, God sent Jesus, and that God was ultimately behind all the events of Jesus' life, death, and his resurrection. So, with that, he then goes back to his, his main topic, the significance. He says, He, Jesus, commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. He said, He commanded us to, to, to preach to the people and to testify that he, Jesus, is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. Think about that. The living and the dead. How can you get more inclusive than people who've got a pulse and people who don't have a pulse? That pretty well covers the spectrum. He says, Jesus is the judge of the living and the dead. He says, all the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. He says, 
He is the judge. He is the judge. But he's also the one who can secure an acquittal. He says all the prophets testify that those who trust him, that this judge can get you acquitted. And and not just he, he can because he promised and maybe he'll get around to it, maybe he'll forget, but because he's already done it. The, te- the prophets were talking about this. Uh, hundreds of years ago, the prophets were saying that Jesus could secure an acquittal for those who trusted him, that he is the judge that people can trust to be acquitted, to receive forgiveness. So what does this mean for us? What does this mean for us? It means that God is for us. It means that God is not against us, that God is not at war with us, uh, despite what the circumstances of our lives uh, uh, may suggest, despite the past year, despite the, the particular uh, tragedies and, and uh, illnesses that we've had to deal with, God is not against us. God is for us. God is for even us. People with my past, people with your past, people who are Jews, people who are not, people who are Christians, people who are atheists, people who are agnostics, God is for you. Republicans, even Republicans, Democrats, even Democrats, Trump train, Bernie bro, God is for you. Men, women, gay, straight, God is for you. People with a past, people who want a better future, God is for you. The story continues. If you read through the rest of this this chapter, it says that everyone in Cornelius' household was baptized. They, They became believers, and the reason is because Cornelius became a believer. And in the first century, that was the way it worked, is that if the boss got baptized, so did everybody else. Everybody who worked in that house, all of his friends, everybody who looked to Cornelius as their leader would have done the same thing. But that's not the way our culture operates. We don't we, we may still be, uh, um, uh, there may be vestiges of a patriarchal society uh, with us, but nothing like they had in the first century. That, that we don't take our cues from what dad or what the boss does. We have to make this decision on our own. Do we trust Jesus as the judge who can secure our acquittal? Because that is the message of Easter. If you don't, I invite you to speak to me or speak to somebody else who has put their trust in Jesus. Um, uh, uh, I'll be out in the parking lot afterwards, and, and I'm, on, I'm reluctantly on some social media, but I've also got an email address. You can find me through the, uh, through the church website if you're, if you're watching online. Talk to me. Find out what this would mean for you to actually put your trust in Jesus. And I'll close with this one last thought. Peter begins by saying, I am learning. I am still struggling to come to grips with the the very unusual idea that God is for people like, like you, Cornelius. That's how he begins his talk. And that's a lesson 
that the church never stops needing to learn. We need to ask ourselves, do I really believe that God is for them? People like that. Do I really believe God isn't against those people? And the test of it is this. Would they invite you to their house the way Cornelius invited Peter? Because if they wouldn't, then you should ask yourself, maybe I am somehow not communicating the gospel the way that Peter did. And, and we need to ask ourselves, if they did invite me, would I come? Knowing that in the next chapter, my fellow Christians are going to criticize me for going to that house. Are we willing to come? Are we willing to be like Jesus in going to visit the, 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 the feast thrown by a tax collector? Are we willing to be like Peter and go to the home of a Roman officer? Are we willing to be whatever the 21st century Cornelius is? Are we even going to be invited? Or have we already closed that door by sending out signals? But if we are invited, will we go? Will we go despite the blowback? Because that is the lesson the church needs to learn in every generation. God is for you. God is also for those people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give thanks that because of Easter, we know that you are for us, even us. Lord, we're not worthy to have you come into our home, but we pray that you would say the word and we would be healed. We pray, Lord, that we would be like Peter, that we would go into unfamiliar territory, that we would see people the way you see them and extend the same good news about Jesus to them that Peter did to Cornelius. We pray all these things in the name of Christ our Savior, our risen Lord. Amen.